Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing our series with the Sermon on the Mount. If you guys remember last week, we started at the end of the sermon. And Jesus is saying, um, the man who hears these words of mine and does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms come and the waves rise, but his house stood firm. And so we see that we want to be wise people building on the words of Christ. We hear and then we do what Jesus has called us to. And at the same time, we also see that the Sermon on the Mount could be very, very frustrating if you try to meet the standards in your own strength and power. You cannot do it. You will not meet the standard. The only way we meet the standards we see in the Sermon on the Mount is through Christ. Christ becomes our righteousness. And as we pursue Him, we start to live out what we see all throughout this sermon. And so today we're looking at the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read those. Um, and they're, they're just called blessings. Right? We're blessed if this is true about us. It's characteristics of those in the kingdom. And before we get started... Before you look and read those, I want to do something I think that will help get our, our minds moving this morning. 2021 is going to be the Bengals year. <laughs> Haven't won a playoff game in about 30 years. This is our year. The Bengals will be blessed this year if what? Fill in the blank. <laughs> hey, why, no Browns fans allowed to comment. Here. So, blessed is the team who stays healthy, right? He goes down, we in trouble. All right, what else? I would say all teams need a little bit. Blessed is the team that gets the lucky bounces, the lucky fumble, the lucky hit. Blessed is the team... That has a right tackle. Right, and the list can go on and on. A fast running back, a receiver that can catch, a defense that could tackle, a quarterback. Goes on, right? All those things you'd expect. If you're going to be a good football team, you know what it is. Now, here's the crazy part. When Jesus starts describing... Those who are blessed in the kingdom of God, it's not what people were thinking. So listen to the characteristics of the people that are blessed, the characteristics of those in the kingdom, because I don't think you would describe this type of person as being actually blessed. All right, so, so just listen as I read. Chapter 5, verse 1, when they saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, real quick, I'm going to break this down. The crowds are following him already because of what he's doing. There's nobody like Jesus on the planet. Jesus, by this time, is already known as the greatest doctor on the face of the earth. He's the greatest, greatest pediatrician. All the families want to take their kids to him. He's also the greatest chef on the planet. He never runs out of food, and the food always tastes really, really good. He heals any disease, and he's also the greatest teacher on the planet. So when he speaks, people are astonished at his authority. And all of that 
would be way short on how great Jesus is. You see, God is speaking as Jesus is teaching. Because we know Jesus is God. And so this sermon will challenge us to put our hope and trust in Christ. And so the crowds are following and his disciples are gathering and he has something to say. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble or the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely slay every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad. And rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See the description of those who are blessed? May that be said of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us see what you have for us. Help us live out what you've called us to live out. Help us look like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And remember, the blessing flows if the condition is met, right? So blessed is the person who is poor of spirit. Why are they blessed? Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven isn't for everybody. It's for the poor of spirit. Now, what does poor of spirit mean? This is not a country song. This is not poor, poor, pitiful me. This is not a kid throwing a tantrum because he didn't get his way, he didn't get a snack, didn't get to do what he wants. Poor in spirit here is an understanding of the greatness and glory and holiness of God and then the depths and wickedness of our own sin. It's upon seeing God for who He is and how far we have missed the mark. And that leads us to be poor in spirit. We don't have anything to offer. As a matter of fact, the song we just sung illustrates that my one defense my righteousness oh god how i need you you never admit a need in a position of power and strength but when you're poor in spirit you can recognize your need for god lord i need you how i need you every hour i need you that's what that song's all about the song's sung by people who are poor in spirit that's my song, and I hope that is your song. And you see this all throughout the Bible. David, right, busted, messed up. And yet the Bible calls him a man after his own heart. Look at how you see his spirit in this verse. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. You want the kingdom? comes through brokenness. Or you got Job. Job was called a blameless man. Job was a good dude. You'd love him for a neighbor. But then all of a sudden, Satan gets after him. 
And he starts asking, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why has all this stuff happened to me? And then God shows up and listen to Job's response. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. The key for Job was seeing the glory that belongs to God. Therefore, I reject my words and I am sorry for them. That's called repentance, brokenness of spirit. I am dust and ashes. It's also the story of Isaiah. God shows up to Isaiah and he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. You see, when you see the glory and holiness of God, you see the real condition of ourselves. We've messed up. We've missed the mark. We don't deserve God. And that should lead us to a broken spirit. And the good news is, a broken spirit can lead you to the kingdom of heaven. But you don't get there any other way. And so we we keep going. This is also true of Peter. Uh, Remember how we said Jesus was the greatest physician and the greatest teacher. He's also the greatest fisherman. And Peter may have thought he had the title. So that's what he did for a living. And the Bible says that he was out all night with his boys catching fish, and they didn't catch anything. And they're tired, and they're coming in, and the last thing they wanted to hear was someone telling them how to go fish again. That's exactly what Jesus does. So in Luke chapter 5, it says, When he had finished speaking, he told Simon, who's Peter, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets. Simon replied, We've worked all night, caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. They signaled to their partners, and the boats began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. When you catch a glimpse of the greatness and holiness of Jesus, you can come to grips with our sin. And it always leads to a broken spirit. Same is true for Paul. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You see, Paul understood his sin. And you see the humility and brokenness, and yet he's bragging on the God who saved him. The kingdom of heaven is full of people who walk the path of brokenness. Because that's the only pathway that leads to the kingdom of heaven. If you're never broken over your sin, if you never turn from your sin, there is no blessing. There is no kingdom of heaven. There's two paths, and they lead to two different destinations. You guys remember the the parable that Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The tax collector comes into the sanctuary bragging as he's praying, God, thank you I'm not like this person and this person and this person and even this tax collector. Thank you that I I tithe a tenth of what I get and I fast two days a week and then he leaves. And then the tax collector comes to the temple. He doesn't even enter the temple. doesn't look up towards God. He just says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, one of these people were justified. 
And he points to the tax collector. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven comes through a broken heart. Jesus put it this way. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you never see the depths of your sin in light of the glory and holiness of God, you can't come to the kingdom. One pastor put it this way. What does a broken spirit mean? It is a sense of powerlessness, powerlessness in ourselves. We don't have the power to get to the kingdom. We can't do it ourselves. We can't earn it. It is a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It is a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. It is a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God and all of grace. Now, this is important. The reason I say it is a sense of powerlessness, it is a sense of bankruptcy, a sense of uncleanness, a sense of unworthiness, is that, objectively speaking, everybody is poor in spirit. Everybody, whether they sense it or not, is powerless without God and bankrupt and helpless and unclean and unworthy before God, but not everybody is blessed. When you see reality... It's a scary thing. And when you see your sin and you see the holiness of God, that's when forgiveness can happen. When you're sick, go to the doctor. You can be made well. When you're a sinner, go to Christ. And you can be forgiven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. William Carey. Anybody in the room know William Carey? You see, here's, here's one thing that I would love to see happen sometime. William Carey's not a popular dude. Not a popular dude. But he made a bigger difference in light of eternity than any NBA superstar or famous athlete or musician that we can name. We have to start valuing some things that God values. William Carey was a lifelong missionary to India. He translated the Bible into six different languages. I took five semesters of Spanish, and I can say a couple sentences. This dude took this book and wrote it down in six different translations so people can read the Word of God. That's pretty cool. He also took parts of this and put it in 29 different languages for people all across India to read. He made the statement, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Like, this was a dude that didn't stop. He just kept on going and going and going. Guess what's on his grave's tomb, on his tombstone? His grave reads this. William Carey, born, died, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm. I think he knew who he was. There wasn't anything special in him. That's poor in spirit. But then he goes, on thy kind arms I fall. And it's those arms that carried him to heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want that to be said of me. That is my prayer to said of you. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sorrow over brokenness in a relationship will be replaced with the presence of God. In Romans 3, it says all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, it says that the wages of sin is death. Like, that should bring tears. Our sin 
always leads to destruction. When you look at broken and fractured relationships, you can go mom to uh, a dad to a boyfriend to a girlfriend to a husband to a wife. When you do a teacher or student, co-workers, when you do neighbors, the fractions in relationships are always a result of sin. Sin always breaks things down. And that brokenness should lead us to mourning. We should be mournful, sorrowful for how our sin affects and destroys everything it touches. And ultimately, our sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve are separated from God because of their sin. You and I on our own are separated from God because of our sin. We're not okay. And when we realize that, that leads to sorrow, but it doesn't stay there. Ephesians put it this way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's sorrow far away from Jesus. But because of the cross, you have been brought near. That brings comfort. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. When I look at sin and how it affects our community, tears should be shed. When I see young men going after things that will never ever bring them satisfaction, tears should be shed. When I see young women valuing and pursuing things that won't last, tears should be shed. When I see lives destroyed by sin, mine included, that should bring tears. And the good news is, God will bring the comfort. Revelation concludes with this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. God will make all things new. Should be brokenness now and comfort's coming. Next, number three. Blessed are the humble. Some translations have meek for they will inherit the earth. Now, we're doing a leadership academy at Holmes over the summer. We're looking for characteristics of leaders. Guess how many people put important characteristics of leaders? Meekness. Zero. Me included. Now, humility, coachable, you could stretch it there. But I want us to understand what we mean by meek. Do you know there's only two people in the Bible that are described as meek? Arguably, the greatest leader in the Old Testament is described as meek. And then obviously, Jesus is described as meek. That blows my mind away. So Moses, all he did was lead his people out of captivity, walked through a sea on dry land, fed people in the wilderness, hit a rock, and then water came out. That's all he did. And the Bible describes him as meek. Check this out. In, uh, in Numbers 12, it says, Moses was a very humble man, a very meek man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. And after leading, right after this verse, it said that there were a couple people talking trash about him behind his back. It says that God was angry with them and struck them with a skin disease. And the only way they were made well was by Moses praying for them to be better. A meek man... 
Some leaders would say, you know what? I'm going to leave you like that for a week. You can have that stuff all over your skin. You keep talking about me, it'll be two weeks. Right? But not Moses. Moses pleads with God and heals. Then you have Abraham. Abraham's out with his lot. They're going to a new country. God's blessing this family. He called Abram to go when he goes. And he has all these animals, all these livestock, and him and Lot, his nephew, are, their herdsmen are getting in arguments because there's not enough land for their animals. So they get to a place where they can scout out the land, and Abraham tells Lot, hey, you pick which side you want. That's meekness. Putting someone else's interests and wants before their own. Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly, meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I would say this is the characteristic the world hates the most. The world will teach you, you need to speak up for yourself. You need to stand out, do something to shine, or you'll never get that promotion. You'll never get that award. You'll never get that raise. And yet Jesus is like, just chill out. I got your back. You don't have anything to worry about. You don't have to even stand up for your own rights. I got you. We see in Psalm 37.11, that's why we read it earlier on to start worship. Psalm 37.11 has something similar to what Jesus just said. It says, but the humble, the meek, will inherit the land. In Psalm 37.11, and in what we read, we see that meek people will trust the Lord. They'll trust God for His plans. They'll trust God to provide. They'll trust God for the plan that He has for their lives. They trust that God will put them in the right spot at the right time. They trust that God will fill them with His Spirit. And you want to know what happens when you trust God? You're able to walk softly and quietly because your footing is sure. When you trust God, it's seen in the meekness that you exhibit. Does that characterize anybody in here? Would someone say, hey, this guy, this guy would be meek? I'm not saying soft. I'm not saying the patsy. I'm not saying someone that gets walked all over. But I'm saying, man, you know what? This person, this lady, puts everybody else in front of themselves. They don't complain. They trust God. Things are not going well for them, and yet they just keep moving forward. Blessed are the meek, because they're going to inherit the earth. That's kingdom people. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness here means reflecting Christ in every area of your life. Reflecting Jesus in every area of our lives. That's what we mean by righteousness. All right? So I, I started to think food and water here, basic necessities of life. And what Jesus is saying is just as food and water are basic for your survival, your righteousness is as essential for the health of your bones. You want to live a healthy life? You better be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Then I started to think, what do most people hunger and thirst for? What, do most, what would you guys give some examples? But hey, I, I need some concrete examples. Money, how do you know that? All right, so I, I thought of that, right? He said money. 
People will work long hours, sacrifice their families, move all over. Bigger salary means bigger joy. So they're hungry for that money. All right, that's a good one. What else? You got any examples? So how do you know someone's hungry for power? All right, to the extreme. They kill somebody. You, you want to know what I've seen a lot more than someone murder somebody, although that's happened? Man, friends will tear down each other to gain a little bit more power. Schools are divided over power struggles. Teams are divided over power. Churches are divided over power struggles. There's a lot of people that are hungry and thirsty for power. What else? Validation. Validation. How have you seen it? All right. Nobody posts bad pictures of themselves. It's always good pictures. And you're validated by the number of likes or thumbs up or, or whatever. And listen, that makes me a little nervous, especially with four girls coming up where image is everything. Well, it's not. Jesus is everything. But there's a hunger and thirst for that validation. That's why social media is booming. I put down pleasure. I think there's a hunger and thirst for pleasure. There, that's why pornography is a booming business. That's why people do what they do in relationships and use people, because it's about their own pleasure. They're hungry and thirsty for that. I put down athletic accomplishment. There's, there's people, or maybe just their health, people that will wake up at 5 in the morning to go to the gym and work out. I'm not saying it's bad. But they don't do the same thing. I want to be careful. As I... I'm not talking about anybody in particular. We get up early for some things, but we can't make it to a service at 11 for the things of God. Or, or we're bored reading the Bible, but we can binge watch a series on Netflix. You see, your hunger is easy to see. My hunger, what I'm hungry for is easy to see. People don't have to guess at what we're hungry for or thirsty for. It's seen in how we live. And now here's the challenge. Be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. Get after righteousness. Pursue Jesus. Now that doesn't mean you're a monk and you go to a monastery and you read the Bible all day. But that is saying that you're prioritizing Jesus. How you treat your parents looks like how Jesus would treat his parents. How you raise your kids looks selfless because that's what Jesus looks like. How you love each other looks like how Jesus loved us. You see what happens when you pursue righteousness, when you're hungry for it? Man, and now here's the promise. You will be filled. You get what you desire. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. An old church dude named Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You want to know why I think so many people are unsatisfied today? They never found what their heart most longed for. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, pursue me, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be filled. Have you ever tasted something? You're like, man, that's good. I'm going to get that again. I have. Fajita nachos. Chicken fajita nachos, no tomatoes at my tierra. Every time I go there, that's what I get. And guess what? Next week when I go there, guess what I'm ordering? Same thing. 
right? My hunger's not leaving, as you can tell, right? My hunger's not leaving, right? I'm going and I'm getting this. It's the same thing with righteousness. As I pursue Jesus, like, man, that's good. Man, marriage is good if I live this way. Raising kids is hard, but it's worth it if I do it this way. Relationships are awesome when I mirror Christ in them. And that hunger builds. It's an easy principle. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. Starve all the junk in your lives and those desires start to die down. Feed the things of God and watch how your heart gets hungrier and hungrier. And the promise is you'll be filled. Number five, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. D.A. Carson put it this way, mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one whom his love is showered on. If grace answers the undeserving, mercy answers to the miserable. Now, all of us in the room would be, I think it would be easier for us to show mercy than be in need of mercy. Would you agree with that? I think it's easier to, yeah, all right, don't worry about it, than to ask somebody, hey, man, I need you to forgive me. I'm stuck here. I can't get out. I need you to forgive me. And yet, we need to see ourselves in light of the mercy God showed us. Jesus told a story. Hey, there's this wicked servant, served the king. He owed the king $10,000. King's collecting debts. He gets to the servant. He's like, hey, man, where's my money? And the servant says, I, I, I don't have it. And the king's about to lock him up, but the guy starts pleading his case. He says, hey, I, need you, I need you to give me more time. I have mercy on him. I've got a family. And the king says, you know what? I forgive you the debt. Go on. So $10,000 debt, gone. I've got it. Don't worry about it. Well, it says he's going home, and on his way home, he comes across the guy that owed him $100. It says that this wicked servant got mad grabbed him, started choking him, saying, give me my money. And the guy says the same thing the servant just said to the king, but the servant doesn't show mercy. He says, nope, you're going to jail until you can pay me. Drags him to jail, throws him in there. Other people heard about it. They go to the king. How do you think the king responded to this wicked servant? Says the king grabbed him, threw him in jail. And he said, you should have had mercy because of the mercy that was shown you. And Jesus is talking to Pharisees. And you see what happens with Pharisees is they don't see the need that they ever needed mercy. They thought they had it all together. You see, that's a very scary way to live. If right now you're living and you think you can approach God on your own goodness, you will be eternally separated from God. But... When you're broken spirit, when you're mourning, when you're pursuing righteousness, you know that God had to be merciful to us. And look at what it costs for us to be forgiven. You guys remember the cost? Somebody had to die. Who was it? Jesus. Jesus comes, lays his life down for us to be forgiven. When I remember that, guess what happens? I'm able to be merciful to others. Now, that's easy for me to say right now. Guess what will happen on my way home? I'll drive, somebody will cut me off. Will we be merciful? 
One, another one of my, my pet peeves, I'm standing in line. Usually, I've got girls with me, my daughters, and someone will cut in line. I'm like, I'm not a small dude. I know that they see me, and they just jumped in line. Will I be merciful? So many other instances we can share. You, you want to know who's in the kingdom? Look at who's showing mercy. Because they understand how much mercy they've been shown by God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Next, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this is close to those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Um, this was interesting. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel's going to anoint a king. And he's going through the brothers. Right? Camden, it'd be like someone coming to our house, the next queen, they're going to pick a daughter. Who do you think they would pick out of the four daughters? Definitely not Ava. <laughs> Ava's the oldest, would claim that she's the smartest, right? And so come down, like, oh, well, she'd be fit for a queen. Look at her. But then God said, no, I didn't pick that son and kept moving. And Samuel was confused. And then God let him in on a little secret. He goes, hey, man, I'm not like people. I don't look at outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. Here's the crazy thing. The king wasn't even invited to the dinner table. The son that God wanted was still out keeping sheep. He's like, hey, go get him. He's going to be the king. Why? Because God looks at the heart. Now, here's the crazy thing. In church, you can be anybody you want to be for an hour on Sunday. There's a lot of people that played the part but have no idea who God is. Your heart can be hidden from people, but it will never be hidden from God. So, what fills your heart? What gets you excited? What makes you wake up in the morning? What do you think about when you lay your head down on the pillow at night? Would your heart reflect the purity Christ has called you to? Are your motives pure? Is your heart pure? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Next, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This is our job. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip the text. But we're given this ministry to be peacemakers. The Bible calls it reconciliation. And it talks about how Jesus came and died on the cross and reconciled us to God. Right? The hostility between God and our sin. The wrath that we deserved poured out because of our sin was swallowed up on the cross. So now there's no hostility. There's no condemnation for us before God. And now we're given this message of peace to carry to the people. How they too can have a relationship with God. How they can experience peace with God. And then have peace with others. It's an amazing thing when you have a group of people that know peace with God. Because there will be peace with each other. There will be arguments but their lives will be characterized by peace. When you know the Prince of Peace, Jesus, you'll reflect him. This is why I love in our school some of the guys that are walking with Jesus. There's a fight breakout, and the inclination is everybody grab your phones and record it. But for a couple of our guys, it's not grab your phones. It's let's go try to break this up. I love it. It's what peacemakers do. Do you guys see what it says? 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they'll be called sons of God. You, you know why it's, it's called there, the sons of God? Um, I'll give you an example. So cutting grass, we, we fill the lawnmowers up with gasoline every morning. Then we'd have to go in and pay. And we go to this gas station all the time. But today they have a new person uh, behind the cash register. I get my Gatorade for the day, go up, stand next to dad. Dad's paying for everything. Grab my Gatorade, go. But on the way out, the lady asks, hey, are you guys brothers? Now it's amazing how one comment can be a compliment for one person and an insult for the other. I go, ma'am, he's 30 years older than me. This is my father. And dad just goes, yes, and walks out, <laughs> right? But there was a resemblance. She knew something, so, this isn't just two buddies, brother, brother, father, son. Sons look like their fathers. Daughters look like their mothers. Those in the kingdom will look like the king. And so sometimes churches are filled with people that love to cause division. <laughs> But we know they're not in the kingdom because those in the kingdom are peacemakers. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And you see how it's like a sandwich. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then everything in the, the middle. This is about the kingdom of heaven. And the people of the kingdom look like this. It says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. If you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. And I thought, I thought Piper put this well in giving examples. If you embrace self-control, your life will indict those who are excess eaters and party drinkers. If you strive for moral purity, your life will be an attack on people who love to do whatever, whenever, with whomever sexually. If you walk in meekness, your life will show the folly of striving, striving to make yourself look great. When you're walking with Jesus, you are an open declaration of war of those who are walking as the world walks. When you're in the kingdom of heaven, you won't get along with the kingdom of darkness. The two kingdoms don't get along. And so the kingdom of this world will persecute you. You will suffer for walking with Jesus. And it reminds me of uh, the Men in Black movie with Will Smith. Um, he's getting ready to enter the agency. And Tommy Lee Jones is walking off, and he asks, if I do all this, he goes, is it worth it? Tommy Lee Jones walks off, he's like, it is. Shrugs his shoulders, walks off, nonchalant. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's worth it. God gives us a better answer. If following Jesus means you're going to suffer, is it worth it? We see in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this is the promise God gives us. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. There is absolutely no comparison. Look at what we get. And then I want to close with this, and this won't take long. When you see all these Beatitudes, like depending on the day, I might fail at all of these. I like to think I'm growing in each of these, but I've got a long way to go. Now, God is working in me, and I know one day he'll finish what he started. But you want to know who nailed this? Jesus. Jesus was poor in spirit. Jesus mourned. You remember in the garden? He, he's crying, drops of water and blood. Blessed are the humble meek, 
He took on flesh. Jesus is eternally God. Enjoyed the presence of the Father in heaven. Didn't have to come to this earth, but he humbled himself to come to this earth to die on a cross. That's meekness. Merciful. Thirst for righteousness. Jesus never messed up. He is righteousness. Pure in heart. Peacemaker. Persecuted because of Like, this is Jesus. Now, here's the awesome part. Because I'm in Christ, I get the blessing. I get the blessing. And what's true of me can be true of you. If you're in Christ, you get the blessing. You get the kingdom of heaven. You get comfort. You'll inherit the earth. You will be satisfied. You'll be shown mercy. You'll see God. You'll be called sons of God and daughters of God. You get the kingdom because you know the king. So if you're here this morning and you don't know the king, call on him. Call on Jesus to save you. You see how easy these little eight things at the beginning of the sermon, you see how deep they are? Jesus knows what he's talking about. Are you struggling with any of these? Ask God to help you. Ask Jesus to help you walk with him. And he'll do it. Are you hunger, hungry and thirsty for righteousness? No. Ask God to create that in you. See what he does. That's what he does. I do know this. All of us in the room are, not, are here not by accident. God has a word for you. He's working. He's moving. And so as I pray, I want you to pray. Whatever God is laying on your heart, speak to him. You don't have to speak out loud. He hears you. And then watch and see how he moves. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the blessings. Thank you for comforting and giving us the kingdom. Thank you for showing us mercy. Thank you for being a God who is merciful. Lord, help us see how much we are in need of you. Pray that you give us different desires. Help us have a strong desire to walk with you. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us pursue you in every area of our lives. All the while knowing that it's only Jesus that gives us hope. Thank you for gathering us together this summer day. Help us encourage one another, pray for one another. Help us pursue you together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.